And we are back. Welcome back. Rich Webster Show, episode two. It is great to be here. Thank you, everyone, who tuned in and listened to the first episode. And thank you for all the great feedback that I received. It was really awesome. But let's get right into it, shall we? So today's episode, I want to talk about probably one of my favorite things <laughs> to talk about, which is how to say no, things that you shouldn't be doing and things that don't matter. On this episode, I wanna cover a bunch of stuff. First, I wanna cover why saying no is the most productive thing that you can do. Number two, I'm gonna talk about things that I do not do in my businesses. So I'll talk about my design agency, uh, what I don't do on social media, and what I don't do in my education business, as well as four recent things that I stopped doing and how you can apply this stuff to your life. So there's a lot to cover. Very excited to talk about all this stuff. If you haven't already, do me a quick favor. Drop a five-star rating on your preferred podcast listener of choice. And even if you could drop a review, that would be great. Helps a lot with the show to get it out to people. And uh, yeah, without further ado, let's do this. I want to give you an example of applying saying no to your business because I think that's what this episode is really about. And the reason that I even came up with this idea for this episode was I shared on Work Less Wednesday a couple weeks ago a YouTube video by this guy named Ryan Majin. And he runs a short form agency. And um, short form agency is basically a video production agency that specializes in producing TikTok videos, Instagram Reels videos, YouTube Shorts videos. And his agency edits and produces over 4,000 videos a month. So they see a lot of data points. And the, the video that I shared was him talking about what really matters if you want to go viral versus <laughs> what doesn't matter if you want to go viral. And the, the great irony of this is he gives this huge list of things that people think are really important if you want to go viral. And it turns out they doesn't they, they don't matter at all. Um, their clients' videos have gone viral hundreds of times and they haven't posted a hashtag in over a year. And so often, especially in the world of social media, everyone is telling you, oh, you know, what hashtags are you using or what time did you post or, you know, what kind of captions are you using? All these things that sound like they're important, but are not the things that are actually moving the needle. So in this video, he goes through and he actually lists all the things that do not matter if your goal is to go viral. And here are some of the things that he said. He said, hashtags don't matter. He said, what time you post doesn't matter. He said, posting multiple times a day doesn't matter. He says, staying within a niche doesn't matter. He said, reposting doesn't matter. Subtitles don't matter. Using trending audios and sounds. All these little hacks, like setting your music to zero volume. Um, he said, replying to comments doesn't matter. He says, it doesn't matter whether you film with a camera or an iPhone. And he said, it doesn't matter whether you edit inside your TikTok app or your Instagram app or within an actual editing app like Premiere or whatever. And it's so funny because the discourse online when people say, you know, let's discuss strategies to go viral and to grow our social media audience and all that stuff. These are the things that they're going to talk about, right? They're going to be like, okay, Instagram said that you need to use five, five hashtags exactly. And that's the best way to grow. And the key is, sure, all of these things are nice and maybe they can get you a couple of extra percents, but our goal is to go from zero to a thousand, not zero to two. And if you really want to go viral, the three things that Ryan said actually matter are 
one, a convicted tonality, right? Really feeling like you are an expert and that you know what you're talking about and that you're exciting and you're conveying that enthusiasm. Number two, explaining concepts with clear details. And then number three is broad enough topics that it can be seen by millions of people. And I think that's such an important lesson and it just dials in exactly what I mean when I say what's worth doing and what's not worth doing. And rather than focusing on getting the perfect subtitles um, or the perfect hashtags, the perfect hashtags on a bad post will not make a difference. And I have seen posts go viral that look like they were filmed on a toaster, right? And uh, it's because the, the tonality was good and the story was good and it was an interesting and engaging topic and they, they told a great story and it just didn't matter, all these other things, you know? Um, so they've given up completely on posting hashtags and they're like, it just doesn't matter. You know what? The people that watch the video watch it because it's interesting, not because there were five hashtags at the end of it in the perfect order, perfectly researched. So why saying no is the most productive thing that you can do. Now, you know, I am all about working less and figuring out how to design a business around your ideal lifestyle as opposed to just having a business and the crumbs that are left over are your ideal lifestyle. And one of the key, key skills, maybe the most important skill that you need to have as a solopreneur is learning how to say no. Because if you want to work less than 90% of the population and still make great money, you really need to learn what's worth doing and what's not worth doing. And the key distinction here and the thing that I've learned over time is that learning how to say no is really just an extension of your ability to become good at prioritization. So how do you figure out what's important? And there are two ways you can do that. Number one is figure out what to do. And then the other side of the coin is to figure out what not to do. And we're gonna talk about what not to do this episode. And the lesson here is if you want to build a business where you're working just two, four hours a day, you need to learn to say no. You're going to have to figure out which things really move the needle and build the muscle of saying no to all the other things because one of the big constraints that you're gonna have in your business is your time. When people have no boundaries around work, they end up working 40, 50, 60, 70, 80 hours a week. They feel like they can say yes to everything because there's always enough time because they'll never stop working. And uh, I want to teach you how to remove that <laughs> from your vocabulary. Now, why is it so hard to say no? Why do people not normally say no? It's actually really, really easy to say yes. Um, and I think that's a problem a lot of people run into is it is easy to say yes. It's free, it costs you nothing. It literally feels great. Our brain releases dopamine when we say yes. And uh, it just adds more things to the plate that don't matter. And you see this happen over and over again. Not only do we say yes to other people, but we say yes to ourselves too, right? We say yes to our good ideas, quote unquote, good ideas, new projects, new initiatives, new goals, new social media platforms, new products, call it shiny object syndrome, right? It's, it's just so easy to say, yeah, I wanna be on TikTok and it costs you nothing to say yes, but then the the bill always comes due and eventually you're like, oh my God, I'm spending an extra five hours a week recording TikTok videos. Was this a good idea? And that's the problem. Saying yes is free up front, but you always pay the cost on the back end. Why do we do things that we know don't work, right? Because they feel good 
because we built this habit around saying yes or because our society reinforces it. It's so easy to say yes and society rewards a yes person, right? Um, you know, it's just much easier to do that. But what we're going to do is figure out how to decide what works, what doesn't, and stop doing what doesn't. And it's really just a simple three-step process. Step one, decide what goal you want. Before you can do anything else, you got to be clear on what your goals are. Step two is to look at how you're spending all of your time and figure out what works and do more of it way, way more. And then step three is to figure out what doesn't work and stop doing it. That is prioritization in a nutshell. Number one is find that outcome that you're trying to get and then categorize all the things that you're doing into two buckets. Bucket number one is things that are moving you towards the outcome. And bucket number two is things that are moving you away from it. And we wanna do more of the things that go towards the outcome and none of the things that move us away from the outcome. So yeah, in a lot of ways, learning how to say no is really just the same thing as learning how to prioritize. And it doesn't really matter whether you start from the angle of what things are moving me towards my goal, what should I be doing, or whether you approach it from the angle of what things are moving me away from my goal and what do I not like doing. Either way, they're two sides of the same coin and they get you to the same place, which is figuring out what things you should actually spend your time doing. And the real secret behind this is it's not enough to just figure out how to say no to other people. There are really three things that you have to master saying no to. First is yourself. And in a lot of ways, this is the biggest challenge. Saying no to yourself means avoiding shiny objects. It means avoiding distraction and getting really clear on what's important to you and what's not and figuring out how to create systems so that you don't go down the rabbit hole of focusing on things that aren't important. Second thing you have to master saying no to is your customers, your clients. And the ways that you can do that are setting boundaries, not taking on pro projects that are not profitable, um, not working with clients that you don't like working with. And then the final group is other people that are not yourself or your customers. These are just people in the world uh, people in the world tend to love to rope other people in to help them complete things on their to-do list or to move further towards their goal. And the secret here is that we want to be doing everything in our power to move towards our goal. And every request that comes in is just an opportunity to move further away from what you're trying to do. So my number one piece of advice there is Take care of yourself first, and then if you have time left over, you can say yes to other requests. So often we just you know, open up our inbox at the beginning of the day, which is just a to-do list of other people's priorities, and just start there. And I really encourage people to start with their own priorities, and then after that, take care of everything else. And I think that's really going to seg into the rest of this episode, which is I want to break down some of the things that I have explicitly chosen not to do in my businesses and the reasoning behind that and the thought process behind it. So hopefully you can get some inspiration and figure out how you can free up some of your time by doing less. And I'll go through my design agency, I'll go through social media, and I'll talk a little bit about stuff that I'm doing in my education business. So why don't we jump into it and let's talk about what I don't do in my design agency. 
And like I said in the beginning of the episode, the key to prioritization and figuring out what to do and what not to do is to first have a goal in mind. There is really no way to set priorities if you don't have a desired outcome in the end. And for my business, my design agency, my goal is to sign clients. My ideal client has a $1 million plus yearly budget and a need for design on an ongoing basis so that we can work with them on a retainer style agreement for a long period of time. So basically that's the goal, right? Is a target that I can reach and then I wanna do things that move the needle towards that. And if they don't, we wanna stop doing them. So here's some of the things that I don't do in my design agency that I think are kind of go against the grain of what you might expect. Okay, first thing is I do not write proposals. I have gone through seasons in my business earlier on where I wrote an insane amount of proposals. And, you know, when you talk about, especially an agency business or creative services business, more often than not, people tend to think that writing proposals is just a requirement, that that is just one step in the process from talking to a client to getting them to sign a contract with you and start working with you and pay you money. And ironically, what I found over the years is that proposals do not actually move the needle in a meaningful way. What I found is the most important part of the conversation for my business with clients that are going to be signing large agreements over periods of time is the conversations that I have with them and the sales calls that I do. Proposals are not something that actually moves the needle. Now, earlier on, many, many years ago, when I was the the proposal king, I wrote tons of proposals and I got no's all the time. I got ghosted. Um, I would also respond to RFPs, which are requests for proposals, which are something I generally do not recommend doing. Um, What I found with RFPs is more often than not, they are earmarked or set aside for one business and they are just put out in order to create the illusion of free competition or of a free bidding process. Um, And unless you are the company that they're setting it aside for, I really don't recommend going down the RFP route. Um, And then the companies that are really good at responding to RFPs, they have team members that just spend all day writing proposals. You cannot compete with them. Generally don't recommend it, but we're not talking about that. I'm talking about just regular conversations. So more often than not, what a normal sales call would go for you know someone who's running an agency or working with clients is you get on there you talk to them you have a good conversation Um, more often than not you do not discuss money which is mistake number one and then the lat the end of the call is either they're going to say all right why don't you write up a proposal we'll take a look at it and then we'll get back to you or you say okay the next step is i'm going to write you a proposal i'll send it to your email and then we can go from there And that is a mistake either way. More often than not, if your client is saying that and you haven't discussed price, um, they are a no or they want to know the price and they're too awkward to ask about it. And it doesn't really matter. What I have found is that if you talk about price on the call and you can convince your client or your prospective client to say yes, the proposal doesn't make a difference. The people who are a yes are a yes, and the people who are a no are a no. 
people use their proposals as a way to get out of having to say large numbers or numbers in general, because we're always really uncomfortable about talking about money on the call. If you don't talk about money at all on a sales call, you did something wrong. And then clients love to use proposals as well. They use it as a way to get out of saying no, so they can either, you know, not say it to your face, or they can say, you know, respond in an email, or they can just ghost you. And everyone just feels awkward, right? <laughs> no matter which way you do it. And the key here is that if you can get over this and readjust how you have your calls and your conversations with clients, you do not need the proposals and you can save a ton of time. Because if a client is going to say no, I do not want to put together a 20 page document detailing how I'm gonna work with them and how I'm gonna help them solve all their problems if it's just a no from Jump Street. But if I can talk to them on the call and get them to say, hey, it's actually not gonna be a good fit for us. One, I can answer objections and see if I can convince them otherwise, or maybe have a conversation about why it's not a fit. Or two, we can go on our merry way. And we only spent 30 minutes talking instead of me going back home and writing a 20 page proposal. So the way that I think about this and the way I approach it is I think about the sales call as a verbal proposal. The idea here is that we have to cover as many things as possible on the call so that we can get to a yes or we can get to a no and we can get to clarity either way. And then if I get a yes, the next step is not, let me write you up a proposal. The next step is we go straight to a contract. So we get off of the call and I put together a contract and that has all the terms and conditions and everything they need. But the next step is signing the contract or negotiating. So the big difference is when you get off your call with a customer, and you say to them, okay, I'm gonna send you a proposal, they still have two choices, right? They have yes and they have no. When you move straight to the contract, because you got yes on the phone, then the two choices are sign the contract or negotiate the terms, which is a totally different frame. We are already in the yes and we're just working out the details. Now you may be saying, Rich, I need a proposal so that I can figure out what the hell I'm gonna offer these people. Um, if it's a big project, if it's complicated, how can I possibly come up with a price? Good point. Now, I've gotten really good at estimating these projects over time. And with a retainer model, it often makes it easier. But if it is a big project, one thing that you can do and that you can have in your arsenal is you do not want to get into a situation where you are not being paid for your thinking. And so often when we go out and do our proposal, we end up giving the clients our thinking, which is our most valuable stuff for free in a document, which they can then do whatever they want with. Um, but what I will do if it's a big project and I can't estimate how much it's going to cost to do it, if I need to do strategy, if I need to do discovery or an audit, is I will then do a paid proposal. So the only time we're writing proposals now is in a paid version. So I'll say, listen, I really want to work with you. Here's the deal. This is a complex project. My team is going to have to commit resources. I'm going to have to think about this. And uh, what I want to share with you is a document that will give you our strategy recommendations, our you know, audit of your website or whatever it is. And it will also give you a you know, an option to move forward with us on a full project and what that might look like. And one of the things I'll say to them is, you know, you pay us five, ten thousand dollars and you will have a roadmap 
for everything that you need to do. If you want to go take that to someone else and hire them, if you think you can find someone else to do it, you're more than welcome to. But either way, you know, you're going to get our best thinking. And then hopefully from there, you know, we'll move into a regular project after the fact. So that's my number one thing that I don't do in my agency is no proposals. We go straight from a conversation to a contract. If I need to do a bunch of work in the discovery to scope it out, then we do a paid proposal. Next thing I don't do in my design agency, post on social media. Now you probably know me from social media, but the great irony of this is I have only been on social for about two years now. I started, I did my first post in June of 2021. So it's been 25 months since I posted on social media. And while social media is great for my education business, it is absolutely useless for my design agency because of the clients that I'm targeting. I've been in business for over a decade and for my design agency, I have never posted on social media. We've done over 3 million, coming up on $4 million in revenue and have never posted on Instagram once for that business. And you know what's the beautiful thing about this is when I can say I don't post on social media, I don't have to do those tasks. And the reason for it is simple. My ideal client is not looking to hire their design agency on Instagram. The way that I get clients for this business is from networking and referrals because the people that are leading companies with $1 million plus budgets that need design on an ongoing basis tend to talk to other people that have businesses like them, right? So they have networks of other executive directors or other entrepreneur founders, and that's who they talk to. And they say, hey, who are you using for your design? And that's where the referrals come from. Now, when I say I don't get customers from social media and it's not a way that clients come in, I immediately get to remove that huge, huge task off of my list. Because if you just say, I don't post on social media, that saves you, oh my God, at least five hours a week, maybe 10 hours a week um, completely. And it has worked out great for me. I've been in business for a decade and uh, you can totally grow a really nice agency without social media if you wanna go down that route. Third thing that I do not do, this is something that in the creative business people love doing. And I do not submit my work for awards. If you look at a lot of creative agencies, you'll see on their website, 10 million awards. And you say, oh, award-winning designer. Let me tell you a little bit about this. You know who loves awards? Designers. You know who does not care about awards? Clients. Your clients do not care about how many awards you've won. They care about themselves and their business and how you can help them. Now, sometimes if you're, let's say, an Emmy award-winning design firm, that can help them to feel better about themselves because they have the story that they tell themselves that, oh, I, you know, I only hire the best and I've got the best firm, you know, ever. Is they're so good that they, you know, won an Emmy or whatever. But more often than not, you know, designers will use submitting awards as a way to kind of gas themselves up and as a way of productive procrastination where it feels like they're doing something important. But more often than not, these awards things also tend to just be kind of pay to play. You submit an application fee and often you will just win an award even if your design isn't actually good. So we don't submit for awards. That's not something we've ever done. And would you be surprised to learn you can still make money without awards? All right. What else do I not do in my business? Another great way 
to free up your time so you can focus on things that matter is to set a minimum rate. And in my business, there's a minimum rate. We do not take on clients for lower than that minimum rate. And that is just a absolute minimum threshold that allows me to say, if you cannot meet this minimum, it is not gonna be a good fit for us. And I can refer you to someone else or suggest someone, but for us, it just doesn't make sense at below that rate. Right now, the minimum rate is $60,000 per year. Now that can be either as a retainer over 12 months of $5,000 a month, or a project in minimum $60,000, or some combination of the two. And I like to say that price upfront as fast as possible, because if this is not a fit, I wanna know about it so I don't waste my time, and I want the client to know about it so that they don't waste their time. And this just allows us to vet clients upfront and removes a ton of meetings with clients who aren't gonna be a fit or can't afford the business. And I think every business should have a minimum rate. It doesn't matter if it's even close to what I set for my rate, but the idea here is we have a minimum standard which we will never under any circumstances go below and it's just gonna save you a ton of time and it's also gonna give you a little bit of leeway if a client tries to come in and negotiate and say, hey, listen, you know, could you do it for 40% off or whatever? You know, you always hear stuff like that. Okay, the other side of the coin here is what happens when you want to do work for a good cause or for a friend or for family. One thing that I do not recommend is offering a discount for any of those groups. So the policy that I have, and another thing that I don't do in my agency is I do not do discounts. The policy is full price or free. There is no leeway. Those are the only two options that we provide. So that gives me the, the leverage and the resources to be able to take on some free pro bono work every once in a while for a nonprofit or for a good cause. But if you're a real client, I expect you to play, pay full price so that I can give you my full attention. Because what happens when you do discounts is it actually breeds a lot of resentment sometimes where you know, you do a project for a friend and they end up being a pain in the ass or you're just like bummed that you're not getting paid what you're normally used to getting paid so you don't do as good work. Um, or even worse is sometimes people will say like, do you wanna do a trade where you trade your service for my service? And I also think that that's a terrible idea. We don't do that either. Um, so it's full price or free, no discounts. Other things I don't do in my design agency, and this is a really, really good one that I have implemented, is I do not take meetings on the days Monday, Wednesday, Thursday, or Friday. I try to schedule all of my meetings one day a week and only take meetings on Tuesdays. And I've, I've done some Instagram posts about this, so I'm not going to go into depth on how you set this up. But if you go back in my history, you can find some posts on it. Uh, I do meetings one day a week and I batch them all on one day, which frees up a ton of time for me to be able to work on other focused work the other four days of the week. And it also allows me to be really focused on my meeting day of just saying, okay, you know, all the meetings are happening today. That's the one thing that I'm supposed to do. And uh, it allows my clients to always feel like, okay, there's a recurring cadence where we can get together and communicate when it makes sense. A couple other things I don't do in my design agency. Number one, 
requests for coffee. I do not do that anymore. I'm not going to take, hey, can I pick your mind? Number two, I do not travel for work anymore. I really am just generally not interested in going out um, and attending a in-person meeting with a client um, or traveling for video recording some event or something like that. Like I still will travel and I will travel for work-related stuff, but it's not going to be for a video shoot. Um, It'll probably be for my other business more likely than not. Um, Other things, I don't work with bad clients even for lots of money. I'm at the point now in my career where I value a relaxed work lifestyle with clients who are really focused and driven, but who aren't toxic. And I've had plenty of opportunities to work with bad clients who even are willing to pay a lot of money, but won't leave you alone, won't respect your boundaries, tend to be a pain in the butt, and it's just not worth it, all right? And then last thing is I do not check my email until 12 p.m., which frees up a bunch of time in the morning for deep work and focus, and it allows me to protect my time. So things I don't do in my agency, the main reason that I do all of this stuff, that I sorry, that I avoid all of this stuff is so that I can do the couple of things that really move the needle in my design business. And the three categories of things in this business that I feel like my time is worth doing are number one, strategy for my clients. So actually using my thinking to help their businesses. Number two is high level design. So whether that's branding or website design, um, it is just really the high level work before I then bring in my team to help me flesh everything out and do the finished product. And then number three is client relationship management. I think I'm really good at managing client relationships. Um, and because so much of my work is focused around strategy, uh, it makes sense for me to manage that part of the relationship. For you, you might hate that and that might not be something that's worth it for you. But I feel like those are the three things that really move the needle on my design business. So things I don't do in my design agency, don't write proposals and don't write them for free either. Post on social media, don't do it. Don't submit for awards. Don't do work less than my minimum rate. Don't do work that is discounted. Don't do meetings less than one day, more than one day a week and all those other tiny things I talked about at the end. So the beauty of this is when you have these boundaries and these guide rails in place, it really frees up a lot of time for the things that actually move the needle. And that's what I spend my time on. Okay, let's talk about social media. So at the beginning, I gave you that example of Ryan Majin and his take on what's really moving the needle on social media and what's not moving the needle on social media. And uh, I will give you my breakdown that I have learned on what's happening on social media that I think is worth doing and what's not worth doing. Because for all of us as business owners and entrepreneurs, we only have so much time during the week. We really only have three things at our disposal. Number one is we have our time, which we can spend in a limited quantity to acquire more money, ideally at the highest rate possible. We also have the money that we acquire, which we can use to acquire the money, which we can use to acquire more time. And then we just have our brains. And that allows us to dedicate, uh, to decide how we allocate our money and our time through our strategy. So there's the only really three resources that you have. And when you have the constraint of limited time, you want to spend your time on the things that only you can do. And you want to spend your money to hire other people or to build systems or to create automations and things like that for all the tasks that someone else can do. 
So when I think about what I don't do on my social media, first I start and I ask myself, well, what is the one thing that I do that really does move the needle and that can't be replicated or outsourced? And for me, it really comes down to two things. It comes down to my thinking and my writing. So when I do put together content on social media, all I'm doing is I am writing and I am thinking. I am putting together the content, I am writing it out, and that is the one thing that I feel like I can't replicate. Outside of that, I want to have systems in place and boundaries in place so that once that writing and thinking is completed, it goes through my system and it is either delegated or avoided completely. So what do I not do on social media? Some things that I can share with you. Number one, at this point, I do not respond to any comments on social media on posts. Um, I was checking in a little bit on threads, but I'm moving away from that as well. And the thought process behind this is I could easily spend an hour a day responding to comments. I get hundreds every single day on all of my Instagram posts. And it is just not a good use of my time because think about it. If I respond to comments, what am I doing? I am able to offer my time focused on one person for one tiny chunk of time. Alternatively, I could spend that hour and I could write a piece of content that could reach 100,000 people or help my students or, you know, there are just responding to comments at this point is not leveraged in a way that is meaningful for me. Um, So I've delegated that to my assistant and we have a bunch of systems in place for that where we have templates and frequently asked questions and stuff like that, but it just doesn't move the needle. So I've let that one go. Next thing that I don't do on social media, post my stuff. All right. All of the posting and the creation of the um, captions and the hashtags and all that stuff is now automated and it's a combination of systems and my assistant doing it. So for me, all I do is in Notion, I type in the content that I've written and then it just goes through the entire process and gets taken care of from there. So she takes the text, she puts it into InDesign, into the template that we've already built, you know, designs it up, lays it out. We export it. It goes into our Dropbox. Then um, it gets scheduled in my content scheduling database in Notion. And then from there, it gets picked out on the day that it's supposed to go. And she grabs the file from Dropbox, uploads it, adds the caption and all that good stuff. And the content goes out without me having to do anything. So my one job is to just write. Now, the same way we apply this to my email newsletter, Work Less Wednesday, where my only job is to write it and then the system takes over. So I'm not spending my time uploading and scheduling the emails. I'm not spending my time um, posting the teasers on Instagram stories or anything like that. And with all of these things, right, letting go of responding to comments, manual posting, manual uploading and scheduling of emails, it just frees up a bunch of time every week. Like it's probably five, maybe even 10 hours a week that if I did it myself, I would do. But that just frees up my time and allows me to focus on what's really important. And uh, the other thing in the system that I have around social media, one of the things I get questions about all the time is managing direct messages. Because sometimes like DMs can be like emails where a message is actually important or you're getting messaging from your friends or your family or your clients or whatever. And the system we built is we have two inboxes. So I have a primary inbox and in the primary inbox, the only people that are in there are people that I actually know, 
um, my family and my friends and my clients, people that have taken my course or coaching clients and things like that. And then we have the secondary inbox in Instagram, which is managed by my assistant. And that deals with all of the other, you know, sometimes hundreds a day DMs that come in. Um, oftentimes people are requesting resources or they just have a quick question. So we built some templates for that. And that probably saves me 90% of the time on the DMs as well. So I also do not check all of my DMs. One of the other things that I don't do on social media is I made this transition. If you've been following me for a long time, maybe you remember way, way back in the day, early on on Instagram, I used to do these incredibly highly designed posts. And they took a ton of time. I felt like it was one of the ways that I was able to differentiate myself <laughs> for people online. And uh, I would actually spend a bunch of time. We were doing a post every single day, 10 slides. And it was like a small design project every single day. I would work on them along with like two different designers from my agency. And we would put these posts together and it was a ton of time, but I felt like since I'm like, you know, a designer, it was one of the ways that I could stand out. And the great irony of this is maybe a year into my journey on Instagram, I tried posting in the format that I currently do now, which is basically just text in the format of a tweet um, over 10 carousels. And that post basically performed three times better than anything that I had done prior. And I got that signal and I was like, all right, well, what would it look like if I just kept doing this? And I started writing my content in that format and I let go of the highly designed posts completely. And that's an important lesson about saying no there because when you get a piece of information that you can do something more efficiently with less work, it's a really good idea to let that go. And that sounds like a simple insight, but what I was holding on to was the fact that, okay, I'm a graphic designer. One of the ways that I provide value is through these design posts. And ironically, it turned out that the design didn't matter at all. And it was actually hindering people's ability to understand what was going on and to, commu and to digest it quickly. And as soon as I switched to a more simple format, one, it reduced the amount of time that we spent creating posts by probably maybe 80%. And number two, people liked it more because it was easier to digest. So the lesson here is when you get that signal, do not feel like you need to hang on to it just because you were doing something uh, away previously. So I dropped those really, really quick. And as a result, that sped up our content workflow. And now one of the things that I don't do is those highly designed posts. Last social media insight that I want to share and things that I don't do, which I think everyone can relate to this. And this is just a really, really good lesson is I have pulled back on the platforms that I am on for social media. There are a lot of people that will tell you it is super, super easy to repurpose content and to post it across a million platforms, right? You can take your Instagram carousel and you can turn it into a Twitter thread and a LinkedIn post. And, you know, you can take your, um, I don't know, Instagram Reels and repost it on TikTok and repost it on YouTube Shorts. And I've experimented with a lot of that stuff. And what I've realized is that it doesn't work as well as you would think it does. It doesn't seem like a ton of work, but you really need to tailor your content to the platform that you're on. So I've actually pulled back. And one of the things that I'm not doing right now is we are stepping away from LinkedIn, not posting on there, stepping away from reposting content on TikTok 
and stepping away from reposting reels on YouTube is something that I experimented with and I found that it just wasn't worth it and it wasn't moving the needle in a meaningful way. So if I ever do expand out to more platforms in the future, I think it'll be more intentional and with a focus on actual growth on there. Because one of the things that I've noticed is that when you give devote your attention 100% of it to just one platform, you're gonna get way, way better results than if you're trying to be everywhere and try to be on five platforms at once. So that's why I recommend if you're early on and you're trying to build an audience, stick to one platform, learn it inside and out, build relationships on there, post there consistently, as opposed to just spreading yourself thin and saying, oh, you know, I'll just do a shotgun scattered approach to content. So one of the things that I am trying to say no to is to limit my reach on platforms if I don't have a expertise there and you know a focus on there. Because what I'm doing when I'm posting on LinkedIn or TikTok, I spend zero time on there. I don't look at LinkedIn at all. I don't know what's going on there. I don't know what works, what resonates with people, what helps. And same thing with TikTok. I like don't have it on my phone, I don't spend time on there. And creating content that is not authentic to the platform tends to perform really bad and actually can hurt your your account in the long run. So for now, we are saying no to those platforms and the real focus is just on kind of my main platform, Instagram, and then my secondary platforms of Twitter and Threads. So that's the deal with social media. Figure out what stuff is moving the needle, what's actually driving traffic and what's, you know, using your best, the best parts of your brain, and then drop the things that don't. Now, I want to share for my business a couple of other new things that I've stopped recently so that you can get a sense of how I make these decisions and how this is an ongoing process where I am totally susceptible to shiny object syndrome or trying to launch a new idea or trying to figure out something to see if it works or see if it doesn't. And uh, I want to share some recent things that I've stopped doing so you can get a sense of how I think about this. So number one, maybe you've seen this if you're on my site, is if you go to howtoworkless.com, my website, you can check out um, at the top of the page, there is a link for one-on-one coaching. And early on, that was one of the ways that I was able to connect with people. Uh, I learned a lot about how what problems people run into with building their business and delegating and prioritization and building systems. And it was really, really useful in the beginning. But what I found as time has gone on is the one-on-one coaching could have filled up my entire schedule. And... I, it just wasn't a good use of my time. The same way I was talking about how responding to comments isn't a good use of my time because I can only help one person at a time. With one-on-one coaching, I can only focus on one person and I could fill up my entire week with one person at a time, but I wanna be able to create things that can impact a ton of people at once. So what I did was I actually shut down my one-on-one coaching. And there are a couple of reasons for that. Number one, of course, is you know the ability to reach more people by not focusing as much on one-on-one stuff. Number two is how much energy that it takes. Now, if you haven't done one-on-one coaching sessions, my opinion is that to do it right, you need to be really, really focused, really, really present. And I could really only do, I would say two one-on-one sessions per day comfortably and three if I was stretching it. I'm not the type of person that could sit down for eight hours and do one-on-one sessions. I think that no one would get anything good out of that. 
And if I am booked up for, let's say, three one-on-one sessions in a day, it is unlikely that I'm going to get a bunch of other meaningful, deep work done. So I had to weigh, am I spending my best hours of the day focused on helping someone else? Or am I spending my best hours of the day focused on moving the needle with the things that really matter in my business? So what I did was I kind of did a hybrid approach and I closed down one-on-one coaching to any members of the general public. So if you go on there now, you'll see the books are closed. You can't book with me one-on-one, but I did still keep it open only to people that have become graduates of my course, How to Work Less, and previous clients. So the only people that can work with me now is you either have to go through my How to Work Less curriculum, go through the program, or you're already a one-on-one client of me from the past. And the reason for this is when someone takes How to Work Less, when I do one-on-one coaching with someone who is just finding me online, 90% of the questions that they're going to ask are directly things that I teach in my course. And I've just found that like, if you go through the course curriculum, probably all of your questions around the topics that I talk about. So productivity, you know, prioritization, delegation, building systems, elimination, lifestyle, business, all this stuff is going to be answered. So rather than me just logging onto a session and repeating a lecture that I give in the course. I just encourage people to go through the program. And then if they still have questions or they want specific answers related to their business, then I will let them book a one-on-one after. So the beauty of this is it freed up a ton of my time. I can still work with people on a one-to-one basis occasionally, which I do really enjoy doing. I find it to be really fulfilling, but I do not want to have it be all of my time. So I stopped offering one-on-one coaching to the public, and that is the thinking behind that. So I could free up time for more things that are more aligned with my goals. Next thing, and this is something that I'm actively thinking about right now, and I really, you know, you can give me your insights on this. I haven't done it yet, but I'm constantly thinking about which things are worth doing and which things are not worth doing. And if you're a longtime subscriber, if you're a subscriber of Work Less Wednesday, you'll know that one of the things that I do in Work Less Wednesday is I have an ad. I run ads on Work Less Wednesday. There's a link at the bottom. You can click on it. Um, it's $500 for an ad slot. I've been doing it for a while. I've you know enjoyed doing it. I, I like the businesses that I've been able to talk to. I think it's a good service. But what I'm really thinking about right now is, is it worth it to keep doing it? And for my business, there are a couple of thoughts that I have on why running ads maybe doesn't make sense anymore. And this might resonate for you as well. Number one, running ads on Work Less Wednesday takes time. Even with the amount of delegation that I have in my business, um, I have to vet these ads to make sure that they're a good fit. I have to finalize the copy or write it myself sometimes. I have to load it in. Um, I have to respond to emails and requests that come in for people who want to run ads. And this is all for, on a good month, an extra $2,000. Now, $2,000 kind of sounds like a lot of money because it's four email newsletters, $500 in issue. But you have to think about the trade-off behind that. So if I add an extra 30 minutes to an hour per week focused on running those ads, I could be spending that time doing a variety of other things that are much more you know, needle-moving. Let me give you a couple examples. Last cohort that I ran of my course, it grossed about $120,000 for one cohort. 
if I were to spend that time focused on getting an extra, I don't know, 50 people into my cohort or even 10 or 20 people, it's going to make me 10 times the amount of money. So focus there is an important thing to think about. Another cost benefit thing is that when I run ads on my newsletter, I am basically putting my audience, my readers, the people that follow me and are interested in what I'm talking about, I'm putting other people's businesses in front of my readers. And I think for better or for worse, every time that you do that, you do dilute a little bit of the power of your brand because you are kind of extracting a tiny bit of goodwill from the bank. Now, when it's a really aligned ad and it's a service that I use and it's like something I would recommend for free, sure, that doesn't happen as much, but you're not going to have your ads be like that every single time. Sometimes they are relevant, but they're not something that you know, you're know you using on a regular basis. Um, so that's another thing I have to consider is what is the cost of running these ads in terms of, you know, slowly diluting my audience, you know, giving people's attention away from the message that I'm trying to give to them. And, you know, basically like when my ads do well, you open up Work Less Wednesday and you immediately click on a link that has nothing to do with me. And then you're on another page and you're not even reading the issue. So yeah, I'm thinking about what is the value of these ads? Are they really worth it? I don't know if I'm going to shut it down or not, but this is like a trade-off that I have to think about in my business. Like, is this worth the time that it takes me to get these ads up and running? And two, is it worth the cost of the dilution of running these ads on my audience? Because you know what? I can run an ad on Workless Wednesday every single week for my own business. You know, I can just run ads that say, hey, listen to my podcast or, hey, sub, you know, sign up for How to Work Less. Cohort 5 is coming in September. Hop in now and get, you know, an early bird discount. So that's what I have to think about. And I'm curious what you think about it. Maybe some point, you know, my audience is going to get big enough. Right now, there's 20,000 people that read Work Less Wednesday every week where it becomes a really, really nice financial asset to be able to run ads on Work Less Wednesday. But for now, the cost benefit just doesn't really make sense. So we'll see. More will be revealed. I haven't made any decisions on this, but it's something I'm thinking about. All right, last thing I want to talk about in terms of new things that I have stopped. In the course, so I teach how to work less. If you don't know this, it is a cohort-based course. It teaches people who are self-employed how to design their business so that it is run as a lifestyle business. So basically, how can we make more money in less time and build a business around our desired lifestyle where we're doing the things that we like doing and figuring out how to remove the things that we don't like doing. If you're curious about it, go to learn.howtoworklust.com and you can learn more. Um, I've had 200 plus students take the course now. The results that we get are absolutely insane. You can read some of the testimonials on the page. But either way, one of the things that I did experiment with um, in cohort two of How to Work Less was what would it look like to offer some kind of ongoing support to graduates of the course. And one of the things that I introduced was this program that was called the Work Less Group. And the Work Less Group was basically a small group coaching program where people would come in, they were graduates of the course, and in a small group with me, two hours, once a month, they would come in and we would just talk about the pressing issues that were going on in their business, you know, what's going on, what problems are there, things like that. And it was really just a place where people could get FaceTime with me. We could talk through their problems. And uh, it was really great. Honestly, like I enjoyed teaching it a ton. 
And that's what makes things so hard to shut down when it's something that you actually enjoy doing, but you look down the road and the long term is just not going to be sustainable or feasible. So I introduced this in cohort two, and then I immediately realized after cohort three, when I was having way more people, like 80 people, um, I realized that this small group was going to no longer be able to be what it was. Because after cohort two, I think there were like, I don't know, maybe eight people in the program. And it was nice. It was really intimate. But when I onboarded 80 people in cohort three, if just, you know, 10 or 20% joined the work less group after, I was going to have a huge group of people. And what I realized was that how to work less cohorts were going to keep getting bigger and that this small group thing was never going to be scalable in its current form. So I had to make a decision where I stopped promoting it to students, um, but kept running it with the current group. And uh, what I realized was like, if I have 50 people, there is no small group, right? It becomes an entirely different thing and ultimately is gonna end up with me either just lecturing or kind of like doing hot seat coaching with just a couple of people. And that's not what I wanted the group to be. I wanted everyone to be able to get individualized attention. Other thing I learned, which was kind of funny, was small group coaching in the format that I was teaching it, which, you know, two hour session, everyone gets to share some problems on their business and we talk about it together, really didn't fit with my whole work less philosophy. Um, while it was great and I think it was insanely valuable, I actually didn't think it ultimately was an efficient use of everyone's time to sit and listen to other people's questions while waiting for their term to come up. Um, I want people to be able to extract the value that they need and get their questions answers, answered and be able to get out as fast as possible. Um, so I am ultimately, I ended up running the workless group for an additional eight, nine months um, with just a small group, just because I like doing it and I liked the people that were in it. Um, but I didn't onboard anyone else because it would get massive really fast. And uh, then we rolled, uh, then we rolled out closing it recently. And uh, so it doesn't exist anymore. There's probably going to be some version of an asynchronous coaching thing or something more aligned with the work less ethos in the future. But um, yeah, so I had to retire that. And that, that was tough, right? Because I enjoyed the group. I enjoyed the people in it. But it wasn't a fit with what I was trying to do with my business. And it just didn't make sense from both a financial perspective and from a customer result perspective. So that was another thing that I stopped. So the one thing that I hope you take away from this is that I am always thinking about is what I'm doing moving the needle? Is it something that's worth my time? And when you're working just you know four or five hours a week, uh, sorry, uh, a day, every hour has to count. Every hour really has to move the needle. And one of the things that you have to get rid of is things that sound good, but are not amazing, right? They sound good, but they're not great. And that's kind of one of the lessons that I've learned. And I'll keep experimenting with this as things go. And I want you to think about when you apply this to your business, how can you implement this? And how can you remove things that are actually not moving the needle so you can focus on the priorities that matter? So for me in 2024, I actually wrote this down recently. I, you know, As I mentioned in the first episode, I'm spending a lot of time writing for this book project that I'm working on. And I got really clear on for this business, what are the three things that I should be spending my time doing? And the three things that I got clear on were number one, 
strategy. Thinking about big picture on my business, what is actually moving the needle and what is not, right? So the same things that I was just sharing with you, we want to think about as well. So that's number one, is that really big picture stuff where I'm kind of building the vision for my business and thinking about what matters and what doesn't. Number two is writing. One of the ways that I'm able to share my insights, which I think is what people are interested in, is to sit down and write. And the number three is building systems. So for all those other things in my business that need to get done, my job is to become a systems builder if you're interested in building systems. By the way, uh, I do have a free email course. It's seven days. There's a ton of value in there. It's called Six Figure Solopreneur Systems. You can grab that just going to any of my pages um, or you can type in learn.howtoworkless.com slash systems or go to startbuildingsystems.com. So the three things that I want to spend my time doing are strategy, writing, and building systems. And if it's not on this list, I need to either figure out how to stop doing it or delegate it or automate it. And that's the key is focus on what are the three things that I need to do? Strategy, writing, systems. If it's not that, probably shouldn't be doing it. All right, I want to close this episode out. This is longer than I anticipated, but I hope this is valuable. Is I want to talk a little bit quickly about how to implement this stuff and how you can apply this stuff in your business. And um, the best way to implement this stuff is to approach it from two different angles when it comes to saying no. Number one is for the external world. So that's going to be either your clients or the people outside of your business, you know, the community, your friends, family, et cetera. There are two things that you can use at your disposal. Number one, in the business side of things, I love this. I recommend this to all my students. Create policies. Create policies for your business. People respect policies. There's something, I don't know what it is. Maybe it's from school or something, but everyone tends to respect generally a business's policies. And when I say, hey, listen, it's my policy that I don't take calls on days other than Tuesday, or when I say, hey, listen, it's my policy that um, my business's minimum rate is $60,000, it's set in stone, right? And it also makes it easier because you're not saying, you know, this is my opinion. It's the policy of the business, all right? Outside of the business side of things, you can create boundaries. And that is for things outside. And, you know, everyone needs good boundaries so that they can free up enough time to do the things that they need to do in the day. Now, on the internal side of things, where things get really tricky is how do you say no (laughs) to yourself? And some of the ways that you can free up your time and say no to things are building systems, delegating, and automating, or just flat out saying no. One of the other things I wanted to share with you is some questions that I ask myself about how to decide what not to do. And the easiest way to do it is to start by creating a list of all of the things that you do on a daily basis. I often walk my coaching clients and my students through a time audit activity, which is where you actually go through and you audit your time for an entire week. But right off the top of your head, you can make a list of all the things that you do in your business. Um, Just grab a piece of paper, do a full brain dump, list everything that you do. And once you have this all on a piece of paper, I want you to stare at it and then you ask yourself these questions. Number one, do you hate doing it? A good indicator of whether you should be doing something or not is if you hate it, you probably shouldn't do it. And if you can get rid of it, just stop it or delegate it. Number two is, does this thing not make you money? 
If it is not making you money, it is probably not a good use of your time. Number three, does it help you get to your goals? If it is not in alignment with your goals, that's probably a good thing to drop. Number four, is there a better way to do it? When you look at this task and you say, hey, listen, I've been, example I, I gave earlier in the episode, hey, listen, um, you know, I've been posting all of my Instagram posts manually. Is there a better way to do this? Yes, there is. There's two ways you could do it. One, software. Find a software that will manually schedule your posts for you. Number two, delegate it. Have someone else do it manually. Okay, question number five, can someone else do it? Which of these things can I delegate? And then the final question where, you know, we sometimes have these sacred cow tasks, which are the things that we feel like we must do them and they're super, super important. And they can even be things that make us money, but they're not, you know, I they're not the most important thing. And you want to ask yourself, what would be the consequence if I stopped doing this? What would be the worst case scenario that happened, right? Tim Ferriss talks about this exercise that he does called fear setting. And you basically work through and you ask yourself, hey, if I stop posting on, I don't know, TikTok tomorrow, what would be the worst thing that could happen? What would be the consequence if I did that, right? How many clients would I lose? And if you're posting on TikTok every day, but you've never made a dollar from it, probably there wouldn't be any consequences, okay? So that's one of the ways that you can implement this stuff. And uh, generally, my main kind of thesis here when we think about saying no is this idea that saying no is the same thing as kind of creating priorities. And once you figure out what you need to do, learning how to say no is the same thing as learning how to prioritize. So you have this ideal goal that you want to reach and you have tasks that move you towards the goal and you have tasks that move you away from the goal or kind of move you sideways from the goal. And we want to spend all of our time on those things moving towards it and drop the things that are moving away from it. And sometimes the things are not intuitive and there are things that society says, oh yeah, no, in order to, to run a design agency, you have to write proposals and you have to write on social media and you have to submit awards and you know you have to give discounts for clients that don't have enough money, right? There are no shoulds in business. It is up to you to decide what's important, what moves the needle, what you want to do and what you don't want to do. And I hope all the examples that I gave you in this episode give you some inspiration for how to apply this stuff to your business. And yeah, that's pretty much it. That is my theory. So basically to recap, number one, saying no, it is the most productive thing you can do. The beauty of it is that when you say no, you don't have to do it. And if you really want to design a lifestyle business and a business where you're only working two to four hours a day, the number one skill that you need to learn is how to say no and how to discern what moves the needle and what doesn't move the needle. I also went through all the things I don't do in my design agency, all the things I don't do on social media, recent things that I stopped doing. And we talked a little bit at the end about how you can apply this stuff to your life. So hopefully if you take away from this, sit down, think about, I don't know, three things that you're doing right now that you know you shouldn't be doing and come up with a plan to stop doing them. And yeah, that's pretty much it. So if you enjoyed this episode, do me a favor, drop me a five-star rating on your podcast platform of choice or give me a review. Um, I'll be back next week with some other cool stuff. And in the meantime, if this was valuable to you and this is resonating with you and you are self-employed, I would encourage you to check out my course. It's called How to Work Less. We are 
kicking off our fifth live cohort. We have had hundreds of students take the program. The results are ridiculous. Go to learn.howtoworkless.com. You can hop on the wait list, learn more about it. And uh, that's pretty much it. So we'll be live with cohort five on September 5th, which is in about seven weeks. And you have between now and then to sign up. And uh, yeah, I'll see everyone next week. Thanks for listening. And uh, give me a shout if you have any feedback.